Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and welcome back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you a special guest named Don Barden. Before we jump right in, I want to tell you a little bit about Don. First of all, Don is a classically trained economist, but he prefers the term frustrated anthropologist. And as you get to know him a little bit more, I think you'll understand why. He spent 25 years working for Wall Street-based firms, and he's been a top-performing expert in the field of institutional finance and sales. And during his doctoral studies, he realized there was a common thread among the world's elite leaders that made them special. That's the focus of something we're gonna be talking about that he created called The Perfect Plan. Don's work has been published in 39 countries and his interviews are seen around the world. He's lectured everywhere from Oxford University in the UK to being a professor and uh, speaker at the US Army Ranger Leadership and Professional Development Program at Fort Benning. And then finally, he and his wife, Lisa are active in their support of Metro Atlanta YMCA, and they have a passion towards youth leadership and mental health. So Don, with that, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. And I appreciate your work. I mean, the things that you're doing for everybody out there listening is just amazing. I'm just honored to be a part of today's uh, show for you. But seriously, thank you. I mean, you're doing some incredible stuff and inspiring a lot of people to go out and do good. So I appreciate you. Well, Don, listen, I appreciate that. And let's let's jump right in because the first question I have for you is one that um, given the career that you've had, the things you've done, I'm really interested to hear how you're going to answer it. And the question is simply, when you meet people for the first time and they say, so Don, what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> well, that's a great question. And I get it all the time. I always back up a little bit and I say, look, my life has been a combination of Forrest Gump and Jason Bourne uh, coming together. <laughs> but you got to kind of say, well, we have a really, where is it? It's more toward the Forrest Gump side, because I just happen to be in the right place at the right time, surrounded by the right people. And uh, it's made my career just, just amazing. But I, I try to get up every day. And this is not a cliche. This is not any kind of lovey-dovey thing. But I get up every day and I run to work to try to help make other people's lives better. Uh, family first, always. But then you look back and say, what about our employees and our staffs and our customers and everything else? It's really this incredible passion I have to help other people's businesses grow, to help other people's life grow, even if it's not with us. So I look at myself as being in the business of helping other people. Now, technically, from a professional uh, mode, um, my book has done very, very well, and I lecture around the world, as you mentioned on that, that's a lot of fun. Uh, but right now I'm currently uh, CEO of one of the world's largest bioscience companies. Um, and we do really, really well. It's part of a portfolio of companies that's owned by The Perfect Plan. And um, I enjoy doing it. But um, I'm also a big believer in a concept called who, not how. Uh, thank you, Dan Sullivan in, in Canada for that. But you know, everybody says, well, what, I guess you're an expert in bioscience. No, I'm not an expert in bioscience. I, I'm an expert in people. And I know who can do great work. And I, I try to put them in the right position and set them free. I don't need to know how to do something. I just need to know who knows how to do something. So um, it's been a great life. Uh, I have a great career and I'm excited to see uh, where it goes in, in the future. Well, I'll tell you, I, I really appreciate the, the shout out to our mutual friend, Dan Sullivan, because He's the best. Uh, that, that question, it's so simple yet so powerful. 
right? Mm -hmm. Who, not how. And for those of you for whom it's not immediately self-evident, the whole premise there that Don's talking about is that your mission is to find someone who is an expert at the job, not necessarily try to figure out how to do it. And one of the crazy yeah. things that happens as a result of YouTube, Don, that you can appreciate is on the one hand, you can learn how to do almost anything, right? But oh, that yeah. lies the point that that doesn't mean you should be learning how to do just about anything, because there's a lot of stuff that you can do and you can practice, and it's going to take you years to get up to just competent level, including yeah. replacing plumbing in your own bathroom. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's an interesting uh, concept there because YouTube and these other venues out there are amazing. It can take somebody and open their mind up to enormous amounts of opportunity. And, and when you said that, my mind went racing back to this um, young lady we interviewed for a career here. It was going to be on the tech sector. And um, I usually don't get involved in the day-to-day -day staff interviews, but um, they came and got me and they said, you've got to come meet this woman. She's amazing. And I said, well, okay, why? I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure she's lovely, but why, why do I need to go meet her? And they said, she scored a perfect score on her aptitude test. Now, to put this in perspective, it's not designed to score perfect. It's just a designed to think how you go through things critically. Uh, it's not about the, the score, but she was literally the highest we've ever seen on it. So I went and met with her and a uh, lovely lady, she's Persian. And uh, so she had a heavy accent, but her English was fine. And I, I made the comment. I said, well, where'd you learn to do this? Where'd you go to school? And she said it. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. It must be some exotic Persian school I've never heard of. And um, like five seconds later, my brain rewound the conversation. And I, was, I, said, oh, <laughs> I said, what did you say? Where did you go to school? And with her lovely accent, she said, YouTube. And I said, you scored a perfect score in this very, very specific type of development and coding on, because of YouTube. And she said, yeah, she had one laptop uh, open where she was watching tutorials and she would sit there and, and do it until she learned how to do it. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful world we live in that anybody anywhere in the world now can be exposed to anything that they want to get their heads around. And, and again, I go back to what you're doing. You're helping people grow their businesses uh, because they have access to you through podcasts and YouTube and LinkedIn and everything else. And uh, I don't know, I, I've just been a big believer in that you don't let schools stand in the way of your education. And now we've got a way of being educated at a level that we, we've never dreamed of before. So again, back to kudos to you for reaching out like this, but um, kind of reminded me of the story. Well, Don, what's great about that story is she would be the who that you would call in the case of coding, right? That maybe oh, yeah, not for selling, but maybe yeah. for coding. So Exactly. Yeah. So there's always somebody out there who could do something better than you. And your job is to find them and then help them do it. But at the end of the day, everybody's selling something, right? Uh, and I always love to ask people when, when I do large groups, I say, who's in sales? And maybe 15% will raise their hand. And I'll say, well, wait, wait a minute. Okay. Of everybody who has your hand down, how many of you are married? And half of them will raise their hand. How many of you have ever been in a relationship? They'll raise their hand. How many of you ever had a friend? They raise their hand. And I'm like, congratulations. You're all in sales <laughs> because you're constantly selling yourself. You're constantly selling this concept of friendship, of marriage, of love. So just because you don't have a sales moniker doesn't mean you're in sales. Every human being on the planet is constantly selling something. And the biggest sale is themselves. And so it's, it's kind of, it's not real bright to think that everybody in the world is not in sales because we are. So anything like this where you well, can help a, somebody, you're, you're, everybody's better off. That's a perfect segue, Don, to uh, the start of your career. Because having been 
trained as an economist. I'm, I'm just fascinated to hear kind of how this journey began. So tell us just a little bit about where'd you start your career and uh, what can you tell us about the journey and who influenced you along the way? Yeah, I probably had two or three major influences, but I'll tell you in the beginning, um, I was this young guy coming out of undergrad. I was a uh, pretty sure of myself is, is a polite way of saying it. I was a little cocky. Uh, and this is before before laptops and computers and the internet and anything like that. So we're going back almost 40 years now. And um, I'd really studied my stuff. I wanted to be on Wall Street. I had these visions of a Wall Street career. And I guess you could, today the term would be data analytics. Um, I don't think we even had that term back then, but uh, I got invited to interview up on Wall Street. So I flew up there. Uh, I was, it was with Lehman, uh, who's not a, a Shearson, I think. They're not around anymore. But I had all these grand visions of Wall Street. You know, it was like one of the movies or something. And I had my little suit on and I was 23 or 24 years old. I didn't know anything. Um, and I remember going there thinking I have a big Wall Street power launch. And he took me to Bennigan's. You remember Bennigan's? Yes, um, I do. Yeah. <laughs> lots of ferns. You know, it's just one of those places that there are ferns hanging everywhere. Lots yep, of I remember it. Greenery and ferns. But I'm like, yeah, so I immediately justified it by saying, oh, these guys are so busy. They're just going to grab a quick thing and get back into the fight. You know, this is great. So I sat down and I talked to this guy. And I, I was naive and innocent, but at the same time, unbridled enthusiasm. And I just said, you know, how, how can I get a job here? And he goes, oh, we're, we're not going to hire you. And I said, why not? And he goes, kid, let me give you some advice. He said, you need to go sell copiers. And I said, what? Copiers? I know all my charts. I've studied this. I, I know derivatives. I know how to do this in my head. I, I, this is what I want to do. And he goes, kid, you're all screwed up. He goes, you've got a lot of talent and you got some good potential in front of you. He goes, but the sooner you realize that it's really just all about sales, he goes, you need to go learn how to sell. And he said, the hardest thing to sell right now, and this is the beginning stages of copiers, he goes, you need to go out there and sell that because that's the hardest thing to sell. He goes, you go become a top copier salesman and you come back here in a year and everybody will hire you. They will be lined up around the corner to hire you because the world needs salespeople. They need people that can tell a story, who can engage potential clients, who really believe, no, it's not a, it's not a bad thing, You've got to believe in your product. So you go out there and convince yourself that you can sell the best copiers in the world. You go sell it more than anybody and you come back and Wall Street will take you. And I walked away from there so deflated and so just like, you know, it's like I just saw behind the curtain, you know, in the Wizard of Oz. Right. How, how can this be true? Uh, but now I can tell you 40 years later, 100% correct. That's exactly the right advice. So uh, I didn't sell copiers. I, I dabbled around in just insurance because they're the only people who give me a job. Love it. By the way, by the way, just to be clear, insurance is probably the second hardest. Absolutely. It may actually be harder than copiers. But I will say that that as you well know, the the foundation of the entire sales training world that exists today globally comes from the Xerox yep. Professional Selling System program. Oh. By and large, you know, if not directly, oh, indirectly. Yeah, all day long. Ab absolutely. It doesn't matter what you're selling. But I went to insurance and ultimately worked my way back to Wall Street, because like you said, that's the second hardest thing to sell, especially when you're young. And I was <laughs> able to go back and then uh, my career just took off. And I spent about 25 years working for Wall Street based firms. I got to uh, travel all over the world. Um, I've always been based in Atlanta, which was nice, but I spent most of my weeks in either, um, uh, let's see, New York, Springfield, Boston or London. So um, I've had a wonderful career. I stepped out of that about 10 or 12 years ago with the entrepreneurial route. 
Um, and I basically started buying my customers, to be honest with you. That's, that's sort of how it happened. And uh, I think in the past 12 years, we've had six or seven different companies in the portfolio and um, done really, really well of it. And you know what? Got an amazing group of people that I trust with, with everything. And um, I don't know. It's just been a wonderful, wonderful career. But that's how it started. It started with... Wow. kicking the pants at a Bennigan's on South New York, South Manhattan, and um, walked away from there deflated. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, when you were saying that on the pictures in my mind, I was seeing the scene in the movie Wall Street with young Bud Fox. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the, the old guy talking to him saying, Bud, you know, you got this all wrong, right? right. And so, uh, yeah, different context. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. That, that was Hal exactly. Holbrook, I think, played that part. That was great. It was Hal Holbrook. That's exactly who it was. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's pivot to this idea of the perfect plan, because after I read it, I was talking to one of my coworkers about it, and uh, you know, he said, well, what is it? And I said, well, the way it's described is the secret formula behind the world's, what the world's top performers do differently. And yeah. he's like, what do you mean? And I said, seriously, like, that's what it's all about. So can you, can you provide some context for our listeners on what was behind the creation of this and, and how did you get appointed to work on this project? Oh, sure. No, I appreciate it. That's actually the best part of the story. Um, I realized I, I was, I did not grow up with a lot of uh, resources. You know, my, my dad worked a couple of jobs, sometimes three jobs. Um, it was just, uh, they were depression era kids and my, him and my mom and, you know, they, they just believed in hard work and they did a great job, but I was the first person to go to college and um, had a little bit of a rough ride until I figured it out and then sort of got my wind behind me and threw everything into education, went through that process of sales and realized that sales was going to be the only opportunity I had to really make a lot of money, make an impact. And most importantly, I learned later on, control my schedule, which is key, you know, in sales. If you're in sales, you can control your schedule and that's worth more than the money. But I was yeah, about one, one point of clarification before we go any further, were uh, you all, had you, you had you received your economics degree at this point or did yeah, that my undergrad? Later? Yeah, my undergrad. And that's what happened. So I've done my undergrad, uh, got to work. I went to work for, for a very, very large Wall Street based firm. Um, and I became the top salesperson there. Literally just hard work, keeping my nose down. But I realized that it wasn't going to work unless I, I had a deeper education. So I went back and got my graduate, my master's degree. And then I started working okay. on my PhD. And they were paying for it. So obviously, when you get to the doctoral level and you've got a corporate sponsor, uh, they kind of want to know what you're doing with the work. Uh, right. They're all for your personal motive, uh, you know, uh, betterment. <laughs> but it's, if they're paying for it, they want ROI on it. So yeah. I had a chance to study some different things, working my doctoral, and that's in behavioral economics. And I'd gone to our CEO and told him what I wanted to study. And he just looked at me and he said, I, I can't wait to read that. And I said, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And I said, so will you sign this so I can go get HR to pay for this for me? And uh, he said, oh, oh no, 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 we're, we're not going to pay for it. And I said, why? And he said, look, kid, he said, I think your idea is one of those fascinating things I've ever heard, but we can't profit from that. We can't turn that into an asset within this organization to help us grow. So while I'm cheering for you, I don't, I don't know how, why we would fund this project. He said, but you're on to something. So go back and think about it and, and come back to me, but in a way that you know, we can get ROI on it. And he said, no, don't worry, you will own it. He said, but we, we want to make something out of it. So do something that you're proud of that will help you, but also will help the organization. So I went back and started thinking about it. And I was on an international sales team at the time. So I was literally flying all over the world. And here's the key. This was before LinkedIn. It was before 
we had cell phones, but it was very reserved. You only used it in emergencies, especially international. And certainly no texting. Email was spotty. So the world was not connected the, the way that it is now. Certainly no social media. But here's what happened. I started to notice that when I go to Eastern Europe, China, Tokyo, where Mexico, wherever they would send me, uh, I, it was like the movie Groundhog's Day. Remember that? Where the same yeah. thing kept repeating over and over and over for Bill Murray. It, and what I realized was it didn't matter what the deal was. It didn't matter what country I was in. Culture had something to do with it, but it really didn't. I started noticing that because of our brand, because of the amount of money we were put into a project, that I had the pleasure of working with that country's best and brightest people. Even though each deal was different, I started noticing this common thread. It was like Groundhog's Day. So I could be in Mexico City one day, I could be in Rome the next day, and then London, and then Tokyo. It was the same thing. It was like rinse and repeat. So I sat back and started thinking about what the CEO had told me. And I said, you know, there's something about these elite performers that is universal. There's something about them that they're doing radically different than everyone else. So maybe we can study that. So I put together the, uh, the scientific model, the Baconian scientific uh, model for, for developing this. And I went back to him and I said, look, here, here's the deal. There is something special about these elite performers around the world. And I think there's a secret sauce because there's got to be some commonality here. If we can do that, then we'll be able to scientifically sort of ingest it do it to ourselves, and we will see this type of impact. So if we can take our top 5% of the people and and spread that and turn the top 20% into the equivalent of the top right. five, would that be good? And he said, oh, we'll fund that all day long. So they funded the study. So I had an incredible group of interns working for me. I had my real job I had to do, but I was working on this doctoral paper and study at the same time. And after several years, we were able to come back and we proved it. We knew exactly what these elite performers were doing, how they approached things, how they communicated, everything about them. But most importantly is we knew why and we understood why. And, and one of the overwhelming themes that came out of the study was that understanding is a lot more important than knowledge. A lot of people know stuff, but they don't understand it. Right. They, these people understood it. And because of our study, we were able to understand why they did it exactly the way that they did it. For our listeners, I know there's a couple of big ideas in the perfect plan, and it's a short read, by the way, but I'm going to start with this. Um, in the book, you describe three promises. Just set us up with what are the three promises and why do they matter? Sure. The, the three promises are actually the sequence of communication that these elite providers or, or, or performers use. Uh, and when I say the sequence is how they communicate. And now, although we didn't have text and email back then, um, every text, every email, every voicemail, every conversation, every presentation follows this sequence. And it's a sequence founded on three very, very specific promises. It's your way of being vulnerable, your way of disclosing who you are, but there's science behind it. And the three promises are gratification, which is number one, education, number two, and then finally, number three is ease of business. So mm-hmm. gratification, education, and ease of business, which means that every email, every text, every presentation, every communication, every phone call opens up with an attitude of gratitude. And then it moves into education. What are we here to talk about? But that's a little tricky. We'll come back to that. And then third is about ease of business. From a sales perspective, whether you're selling the company, a philosophy, a movement, or a product, 
everybody's got enough crap going on in their life, right? They don't need you to come in there and make it harder. So it, it has to be about if you engage me and, and we work together, I'm going to make your life easier because I'm easy to work with. I'm, I'm good at what I do. We're allowing this concept of outsourcing success to us. Let us take that burden from you. So if you open up with gratitude, then there's a whole different level of things that are happening. Very clear and concise education, which here's the key to that. When you speak to somebody in any format, presentation or whatever, it has to be three things or less. It, it, you, and I know salespeople get so you know, excited because they've studied and they've, they've learned their product and they just want to do the verbal vomit. You know, they want to come out and tell you everything that there is to tell. No, worst thing you can do. Um, you open up with an attitude of gratitude. You tell them two or three things, but no more than three. In fact, if you, here's an interesting stat. If you add a fourth thing to a sales presentation, you have a 25% fail rate. If you add a fifth thing, you have a 50% fail rate. If you add a sixth thing to your presentation, you have a 100% fail rate. And, and the reason is, is people just look at this and they're like, yeah, let's just make this easy. What are the two or three things I need to know in order to outsource success to you? So you open up with an attitude of gratitude, clearly educate them, and then make their life easier. And, and it's game over right there. So when I say if somebody wants to double their business, just do that. Just force yourself to say, I'm going to be grateful. And, and, and when I say be grateful, I don't mean a flyby oh, hey, it's nice to see you. Thanks for having me. You know, let me jump into this. No, you have to take a breath and you have to look at them and you have to engage and you have to honestly, with your heart, sincerely share with them your appreciation for them. It could be for taking the meeting. It could be because you saw that their company just built a Habitat for Humanity house and that really touched you. It could be that they're funding scholarships for kids with autism. Who knows? But if you're really honestly appreciative of your prospect, customer, client, whatever it is, take a moment and tell them. And, and what happens is when you do express gratitude that's real, there's this thing that ha happens in your head and their head that creates a bonding agent. And that bond cannot be broken except one exception. And that's lack of trust. If you ever lie in the future, they can't trust you. Yeah, game over. Yeah, shouldn't do that. But if you're sincere and you express an honest gratitude, then they bonded with you in a completely different way and it will not be shaken. So if you think about what these folks are doing in the beginning, they're locking in because it's real and it's honest and it's from their heart. They are honestly saying, thank you for what you did with autism. Thank you for what you did with Scott, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. But right. I just want to get that off the table. Then you say, okay, well, look, I know we got a lot to talk about, but I've narrowed it down to just these two things. I think this is important, but I'll talk about whatever you want. Are, are these two good? 90% of the time they're going to say, after mentally, they're going to go, thank God. <laughs> but they're going to say, oh, that's perfect. Yes, that's really what we're focused on. Or they might say, yeah, but also I want to hear about this too, because we've had some issues. Great. Now you got three things and you're, you're done. But then the following of just wrapping this thing up and saying, let me take your burden. Let me show you how easy it is to work with you. That's the game. So we studied intently the belief system of these elite performers around the world. And there were probably 10 or 15 out there, but there were three that were universal and appeared in 100% of the people that we studied. And these beliefs don't have to be spoken. There's no order to it. It's not like the sequencing you do with the three promises. This is just, it has to come out on who you are. 
But the three beliefs are really simple. Number one, that you're here to compete. Excuse me, you're here to create and not compete. Uh, nobody wants competition. In fact, the dirtiest word of sales is competitive. Like if you say, well, we have competitive fees. Because in, in ancient Greek, the word compendo or compendi, depending if it's masculine or feminine, literally means static or the same. So if somebody comes out and goes, yeah, we got really competitive fees. You're saying, yeah, we're just the same as everybody else. And so big deal, you're a commodity. We don't, we don't need you. There's nothing special about you. What these elite performers believe is that they're not here to sell competitive fees or to be the same as everybody else. They're here to be creative. And by creative, I mean that you're just thinking differently about how you think, about the way that you think, about your thinking, that you're able to look at an opportunity to serve somebody with your product or your business or your service and say, how can, can we create better solutions for them? How can we express to them that we're a creative company? We're just not pump and dump. We're not just running around selling a bunch of widgets, that we really are leaning in and doing this. And what happens is when people are creative, and I don't mean color schemes and artsy and stuff like that, but you're just thinking differently about it. Then in the same way that creativity, excuse me, that uh, gratitude creates a bond, creativity creates a stimulus. There's something about creativity that people are drawn into and they want to be around, whether it's a museum where you're looking at a Picasso or whether it's fresh cut grass in your front yard where you look at it and go, wow, there's something about this beautifully cut lawn that I like. Well, that's because you created something new. So people want to be around that. So number one, create and don't compete. Number two is exceed expectations at all times. If you just deliver on time every time, yeah, everybody does that. No big deal. Go check out Amazon. They're pretty darn good at that, right? So that, there's nothing wrong with it. But what would it be like if you exceeded expectations and you created a culture within your organization, especially the people who have to deliver on your sales promise? Because most salespeople got there and promised stuff, but then there's a whole team of people behind them that have to make it happen, right? So they have to have permission to exceed expectations, to do whatever it is that's right for, for the people. And, and when you have that type of culture, nothing stands in your way. People will make the right decision. They won't give away the farm, but they will make the right and they'll make the wise decision. So number one, create, don't compete. Number two is exceed expectations at all times. And number three is my favorite. It's called giving forward. Don't give back. Giving back is buying Girl Scout cookies. Full disclaimer, you should buy every Girl Scout cookie you get. I'm not knocking Girl Scout cookies. You should buy Girl Scout. But that's sort of tit for tat. That's just almost obligatory, and the cookies are really good. Love Girl Scout cookies. Now, giving forward without any expectation of anything in return is sort of your expression of your belief. Like, what is it that you like? like you mentioned your bio, Talk of Me, and I so appreciate this. Uh, it's about mental health and, and children, teenagers. So my wife and I supply um, access for a 1000 thousand teenagers a year to get help from doctors, from mental care doctors. So whether they're at extreme, whether it's just anxiety or whatever, we wanted no excuses. So a thousand kids in the Atlanta area every year get access to that. And then we're also passionate about education. So we scholarship about 150 kids per year. Now, these kids happen to be, their dads happen to be U.S. Army Rangers. So that's sort of my heart. You know, those are my guys. So love them. But that's never helped me in business and it's not intended to help me in business. So what we're doing is we're giving forward without any expectation of anything in return, because that's what we believe in. So if you, if you, if somebody leans in and says, wow, I love it. That you're always grateful. Thanks for just telling me two or three things so I can outsource this to you. And really thank God that you made my life easier. 
But as they get to know you, they know that you're creative. You're not competitive, that you're exceeding expectations. And so is everybody on your team. But most important, you're the type of person that gives forward without any expectation of anything in return. Double again, because now you've taken it to another level. Now you've made it personal. And people want to do business with people that they like. What are the three questions within the perfect plan? Three questions. Um, is it right for me personally, professionally, and spiritually, or in my gut? That's what ultimately you have to ask. And this is where the sort of the pivot, the big aha moment we had was you, you make a presentation in order, gratification, education, and ease of business. As they get to know you, you reveal to them that, you know, that you're creative, that you'll exceed expectations, and that you're a type of person that'll give forward. But ultimately, the way we originally saw this was that you're doing this so that the people you're presenting to can make a wise decision. And a wise decision about engaging you has to be an affirmative for them. In other words, they have to say, wow, I really like Mark. He's an awesome guy. And if I do this, it's right for me personally. Yep. It's right for me professionally. Yep. And it's right in my conscience, my gut, my spirit, whatever you want to call it. It just tells me he's yep. a good guy and I need to do this. You have to have harmony in all three of those. All three of those have to be affirmative. They have to be Yes, because if somebody says, this is right for me personally, I'll get a bonus. It's right for me professionally. I look like a rock star. Oh, my gut tells me this is the wrong decision. You better say no. Or, or if you yeah. say it's right for me personally, my gut says it's okay, but God, it's going to be a kiss of death at work. No, don't do it. It has to be right against all three of it. But here's the beautiful thing, Mark. Here's, here's the big aha moment. We realized that conventional sales says that you're driving toward that moment. It's the exact opposite of what happens in the perfect plan with these elite performers. And this is what takes you from double your first year to double your second year to 10xing it. You got to flip that upside down. These elite salespeople don't go out there and say, I'm going to go through this promises. I'm going to go through these beliefs. So these person can say it's right for them personally, professionally, and their conscience, so they can hire me. It's just the opposite. What these elite performers do in sales is they say to themselves first, look, I'm presenting this thing today to my potential prospect here. And I've gotten to know of all the study I've done, of all the research, knowing who I am and knowing what I can communicate. Do I believe that I can present to them in a way that's going to be right for them personally, right for them professionally, and right for them in their spirit? If I believe I can do this, then I follow down the sequence and, and I do it. 100% of these elite performers gave me the exact same answer when I asked them what they did for a living. And it, I still get goosebumps. 20 something years later, I get goosebumps on it. Every single one of them, when I asked them what they did for a living, said they wake up every day and they run to work to serve other people. Wow. And, and they viewed their role in life as servants, as to help people out, to, to lean in. And then they would ultimately, somewhere down the sentence line, say, oh, yeah, 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 we, we own the fish market over there. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they live with this concept that they're here to serve other people to make their lives better so if you if you understand that particular part that sales is about service sales is about leaning in and making somebody else's life better even if it's not with you then you can look at this and it makes more sense then you can say to yourself listen i've got this big presentation today and you know what do i believe that it's going to be right for them personally professionally and in their spirit Okay, I do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go full blown at this thing. Um, to wrap up, if people want to learn more about you, about the perfect plan, what's the best way to do that? 
I, I, I always go on Amazon and, and buy the book if you want to. It's care. Or you know what? You can send me an email and I'll give it to you for free. How's that? <laughs> so I, I, I give anybody who wants the electronic version of the book. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, anything you want to do, I'm, I'm here for you. I, you know, uh, we talked about the word retire before uh, we, we came on the air. And uh, I just think that's the worst word in history because literally the word retire means to move to a point of isolation. You're retiring for the evening. You're retiring after dinner. So I'm very anti-retirement. And I look at this now as I'm moving into a stage of my life where I can I, I want to help and serve as many people as possible. So any of your your fans, your listeners, your readers who want to reach out to me, I'll be happy to help them. But, you know, your book and your work is just so phenomenal. Um, start there. Start with your stuff. And if I can add something to it, I'm happy to do it. But, you know, you're one of those people, Mark. You know it. So you're one of those elite 1%. So just keep being you and doing what you do. And um, I think the world's going to be better for it. But I'll help anybody I can whenever I can. Don, that comes through loud and clear. Thanks so much for being on the show. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget one new idea can change your life.